Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Realm of Darkness. I'm your host, Phil. Today, we're going to talk about Indianapolis's darkest moment in history, probably the most gruesome, violent murder that has happened in the city. And it happened in 1965. You may have heard of the case. Sylvia Likens, who was a 16-year-old girl, was tortured and murdered by her next-door neighbor, Gertrude, and even some of her her own children, Gertrude's children, and neighborhood friends all partook in the torture and murder of Sylvia Likens. There's even been a couple of movies, TV movies made about the case. So Sylvia and her sister were staying with Gertrude while their parents were out of town. Over the course of three months, this abuse kind of incrementally grew over that period of time. At first, it was all verbal abuse from Gertrude. And then it became neglect. It became being belittled, sexually humiliated, beaten, starved. She was cut, dehydrated. It was so violent over those few months that during her autopsy, they found 150 different wounds across her body that ranged from burns, scolding, and even decaying skin. Sylvia was there with her younger sister, Jenny, and even her sister was forced by Gertrude to abuse her sister. When it came to the final cause of death, it was ruled a homicide, rightfully so. And it was caused by a hematoma and shock. Arrested were Gertrude, her oldest daughter Paula, her son John, and two neighbors, Coy and Richard. They were all tried a year later in 1966 of neglect, torture, and murder. And the prosecutor described the case as the most diabolical case that he's ever experienced. And I would have to agree. So the jury only took eight hours to deliberate, and they found her guilty of first-degree murder, sentenced to life in prison, and she was actually released on parole in 1985. So less than 20 years is what she spent in jail for that. Her daughter Paula was found guilty of second-degree murder and was released less than 10 years later in 1972. All the boys were found guilty of manslaughter, and they each served less than two years in a reformatory school and were granted parole in 1968. And like I, most Indiana residents consider it the worst crime ever committed in the state. It's even been described by Indiana police as the most sadistic case over the history of of Indiana. So Sylvia was born in 1949, and she was the third of her parents' five children. And her parents worked as carnival workers. Her dad, Lester, uh, died in 2013, and his wife, Elizabeth, who died in 1998. Sylvia was born between... Twins, Daniel and Diana, who were two years older than her, and Benny and Jenny, which were one year younger than her. Jenny Likens had polio, which caused one of her legs to be weaker than the other, and she was afflicted with a very noticeable limp, and she had to wear a steel brace on one of her legs. Lester and Elizabeth had a pretty unstable marriage. They sold candy, beer, soda at different carnivals around Indiana during the summer, and they often had to move, you know, kind of following the, the, the carnival 
rounds. Uh, and it, financial difficulties was not uncommon for them. Now their sons would travel with them very regularly to help assist with the work, while Sylvia and Jenny were actually discouraged from doing so, mainly because there was concern about the safety and they wanted the parents wanted them to get a good education. And because of this, both sisters often stayed with relatives. Usually it was their grandmother. But come their teenage years, Sylvia, um, she started earning money by babysitting, doing errands for people. Um, she would perform various chores for her friends and neighbors. And she would even give her parents some of her earnings, you know, to help pay for the rent and some of the debt. She was known throughout the people who knew her, mainly her neighbors, as being very friendly, confident. She was lively. Um, and and her friends referred to her as Cookie. But she, even though she was very lively and happygoing, she had some insecurities such as a missing front tooth, which would often leave her not smiling, or if she did smile, she would do it with her mouth closed. Um, She lost the tooth playing with her brothers, but she was very fond of music. Um, And she was also into skating. So how did all of this happen? How did her family end up leaving her with Gertrude instead of the grandmother? Well, in June of 1965, Sylvia and her sister Jenny, they lived with their parents in Indianapolis. And on July 3rd, um, Jenny and, and Sylvia's mother was arrested. And then she was jailed for shoplifting. It wasn't too long after this that Lester arranged for them to stay with Gertrude. She was the mother of two girls the sisters had become acquainted with while they were studying at a local high school. And their names were Paula and Stephanie. At the time of this agreement that the dad made with Gertrude, she assured Lester that she would care for his girls until his return just like they were her own. Now, shortly after July 4th, the sisters moved into the house because their father told them that's what they had to do because he and their mother would be traveling to the East Coast with a carnival. And the understanding was that Gertrude would receive about $20 a week in payment for caring for these girls and that would cover whatever boarding fees that they had. And the parents would come back and collect their daughters in November of that year. And during the initial weeks when Sylvia and Jenny were in the house, both sisters were subjected to very little discipline or abuse. Um, she, Sylvia, in fact, um, would sing regularly along with Stephanie, the the daughter of Gertrude. Uh, She participated very willingly in housework at at the residence. Both girls attended Sunday school with the other children. And so, I mean, they were very much intertwined with this family at this point. Nothing seemed off. The problem came when Lester, who had agreed to pay uh, Gertrude $20 a week, had stopped paying after about two weeks. They weren't coming in consistently. And they they would be very sporadic. Sometimes they'd be a few days late. And in response to this, Gertrude began venting all of her frustrations on the sisters. She would beat them with various things such as a paddle. Uh, She would make statements and she would call them names. 
about how she had to take care of these children, how she had to invite them into the into her home and, and care for them all for nothing. And in late August, both girls were beaten 15 times on the back with this paddle that Gertrude had created. Paul accused the sisters of eating too much food at the church sup- supper, and this is what had ignited this fury and Gertrude to beat the sisters 15 times. And by mid-August, Gertrude um, focused most of her abuse on Sylvia. In fact, at this point, it was almost exclusively on Sylvia. And it was believed that the primary motivation was jealousy of her physical appearance, the respectability that she had within the community, and overall her potential in life. Later trial testimony, the it came out that the abuse was initially inflicted upon Sylvia after she and Jenny returned to the home from their high school and as well as on weekends. The initial abuse included, uh, you know, subjecting them to beating, starvation, eat leftovers, spoil food out of the trash. On one occasion, even um, Sylvia had been accused of of stealing candy, which led to a severe beating, but she had actually purchased the candy. Another occasion in late August, um, Sylvia was subjected to humiliation when she claimed to have a boyfriend who lived in Long Beach when she met earlier in the spring uh, with her family when they were visiting California. And when Gertrude heard this, she asked Sylvia if she had ever done anything with a boy Uh, And she replied, I guess so. Not really sure of what Gertrude was asking. Um, You know, to her, it was very innocent, right? Like going skating, um, going to a park or a beach. And as she was continuing this conversation with Stephanie and her sister Jenny, Gertrude mentioned that she'd once laid under the covers with her boyfriend, or I'm sorry, Sylvia, had mentioned that she had once laid under the covers of her boyfriend. And when Gertrude heard this, she asked Sylvia why she even brought that up. And she replied, I don't know. A few days later, Gertrude returned to, to Sylvia, telling her that she was fat, essentially, um, and then accused her of being pregnant. And then going back to telling her that she was fat and that she would have to go on a diet. And then Gertrude informed her that the other girls in the house, when they did something with a boy, you know, whatever she meant by that, they would have a baby. And so then she kicked Sylvia in the genitals. And Paula, who is Gertrude's daughter, was three months pregnant. And she was also jealous of Sylvia's physical appearance, and she started participating in this attack. She knocked her off the chair onto the the floor and told her that she wasn't fit to sit on their furniture. And on another occasion, as the family was eating supper, Gertrude and her daughter Paula and a neighborhood boy, Randy, force-fed Sylvia a hot dog overloaded with a bunch of different condiments like mustard, ketchup, various spices, until she vomited. And then she was forced to eat that. The only time Sylvia really retaliated was this rumor that she supposedly spread around the high school that Stephanie and Paula were prostitutes. Now, supposedly she did this because she was upset with the household for, you know, all the abuse that she's been enduring up to this point. And while at school, Stephanie was jokingly um, propositioned by another boy who told her that Sylvia or told him that Sylvia stated this rumor about her. When she got home later that day, Stephanie questioned Sylvia about the rumor and she admitted that she started it. So Stephanie punched her as a response, and Sylvia apologized in tears. Stephanie then also began to cry. However, when Stephanie's boyfriend, Coy, who was also arrested later on, heard the rumor, he 
flat out attacked Sylvia. He slapped her, banged her head against the wall, um, threw her onto the floor. And when Gertrude found out about the rumor, she beat Sylvia with the paddle. Paula also beat Sylvia about the face that she actually broke her own wrist, hitting her. Most of the punches and hits were focused on Sylvia's teeth and eyes. And even with a broken wrist, Paula just used the cast to further beat Sylvia. Gertrude repeatedly falsely accused Sylvia of being a floozy, um, being the prostitute essentially, engaging in uh, sex with guys, uh, being filthy, and just being a a dirty woman in general. And on occasion for punishment, Gertrude would make Jenny hit her own sister. And if Jenny didn't comply and hit Sylvia, Jenny would be beat. And at this point, Coy and several of the other classmates would visit the house so that they could physically and verbally assault Sylvia. And they would often work together with Gertrude's kids and even Gertrude at at some times. Um, Or Gertrude would be there encouraging this. And these neighborhood children would just routinely beat Sylvia, sometimes using her as a practice dummy in violent judo sessions, lacerating her body, burning her with cigarettes, oftentimes over 100, 100 times. And to entertain Gertrude, Sylvia was forced at one point to strip naked in the family living room and masturbate with a glass of Pepsi. Gertrude stated to all those that were present that the act of humiliation was for Sylvia to prove to Jenny what kind of girl you are. Eventually, Gertrude forbade Sylvia and Jenny from attending school, you know, after she confessed to having stolen a gym suit from the school due to Gertrude not giving her more clothes. And for the theft, Gertrude whipped Sylvia with a three-inch police belt. And then she kind of switched the conversation to how evil premarital sex was. And she would then go on to repeatedly kick Sylvia in the genitals. Stephanie finally stood up in Sylvia's defense and told her told her mom she didn't do anything. But then Gertrude burned Sylvia's fingertips with matches before whipping her some more. And a few days later, Gertrude repeatedly beat Jenny with the police belt after she reportedly stole one tennis shoe from the school to wear on her strong foot. But even with all of this going on, it seems like nobody really noticed. Nobody noticed the bruises or any signs of the abuse. And neither of the sisters, Jenny or Sylvia, told anybody because they were fearful of what would happen when Gertrude found out. She really... Jenny especially wanted to go and notify her family or the school, somebody. But she was afraid that she would be tortured the same way her sister was if she did. Because she was also being bullied by other girls in the neighborhood because of the polio. Occasionally in in July and August, uh, Lester and Elizabeth would return to Indianapolis if their schedule allowed. And they would visit with the girls The last time that they visited their daughter was October 5th, and neither girl showed any visible sign of distress, talked about the mistreatment, and it's probably because Gertrude and her children were there. But almost immediately after they left, it would be the last visit. Gertrude faced Sylvia and said to her, What are you going to do now? Now they're gone. In September, the girls encountered their older sister, Diana, at a local park, and both Jenny and Sylvia informed Diana 
about all the abuse that was going on, everything that they've had to endure, and even adding that Sylvia was being specifically targeted for physical abuse and almost for always almost always over stuff that she had never done. Uh, but neither sister really told the address of where they were, and Diana initially believed the sisters were exaggerating what was going on. And at one point after this, Sylvia told her sister that she, Sylvia ran into her sister again and mentioned that she was hungry. And so her sister gave her a sandwich. Gertrude found out about this and accused Sylvia of gluttony. So to punish her for this, she gave her a scolding bath to quote unquote cleanse her of her sins. And she would bang her head against the wall whenever. Sylvia would faint in the shower. Shortly after this, one of the neighborhood boys, Michael, his father called the high school to report that a girl with open sores over her entire body was living in this house. And Sylvia hadn't attended school for several days, so the nurse uh, visited the house to investigate. Gertrude claimed that Sylvia had run away from the home the week before and that she was unaware of her actual whereabouts, adding that the girl was out of control and her open sores were a result of her of Sylvia's refusal to maintain just basic personal hygiene. Gertrude also claimed that Sylvia was a bad influence on both her children and her sister, and the school made no further investigations. Not one. So Gertrude's immediate neighbors were a middle-aged couple, Raymond and Phyllis, and both of them initially viewed Gertrude as kind of the ideal caregiver for the sisters because they both had visited the residence on two occasions while the girls had been under Gertrude's care. And on both occasions, they witnessed Paula physically abusing Sylvia. And on both occasions, Sylvia had a black eye. And she was openly boasting about her mistreatment of the children to them. And on their second visit to the house, both observed Sylvia to appear very weak, almost in like a zombie type of nature. But they didn't report any of these issues either. So around October 1st, um, Diana discovered that her sisters were temporarily residing at Gertrude's house, and so she visited the property in an attempt to initiate regular contact. Gertrude refused Diana's entrance, stating that she had received permission from the parents not to allow either of the girls to see her, and she, off- she ordered Diana to leave. Two weeks later, Diana encountered Jenny by chance uh, near the house, inquired you know, how's, how's Sylvia doing? Um, and Jenny told her, you know, I can't tell you or I'll get in trouble. So over the time, you know, the, the frequency and brutality of the torture and mistreatment became more and more regular, more and more hostile. Eventually, she wasn't allowed to go to the restroom at all. She was forced to, to go on herself And as a form of punishment for going on herself after not being allowed to go to the bathroom, Gertrude threw Sylvia into the basement and tied her up. And oftentimes Sylvia was kept there naked, very barely fed, frequently deprived of water. You know, occasionally she was tied to a railing in the basement stairs where her feet were just barely touching the ground. The weeks prior to locking Sylvia in the basement, Gertrude had increased the abuse and torment, occasionally claiming to the children in her house that either she, herself, or one of them had been receiving direct insults from Sylvia in the hope, you know, this would provoke them into attacking Sylvia. And on one occasion, Gertrude held a knife and actually challenged Sylvia to fight back to which Sylvia said that she didn't know how to fight. And so Gertrude cut her leg. 
the only reprieve that Sylvia really got was when the family would watch television. Um, various neighborhood kids would pay five cents to see Sylvia humiliated, beaten, scalded, burned, uh, even mutilated. So throughout Sylvia's captivity in the basement, Gertrude frequently, with the help of her kids and various neighborhood children, would restrain and gag Sylvia, place her in a bathtub filled with scalding water, and rub salt into her into her wounds. On one occasion, Gertrude and her 12-year-old son, who was John, rubbed urine and feces from Gertrude's one-year-old into Sylvia's mouth before giving her a cup of water. Um, and Sylvia was told that that water was all she would get the rest of the day. October 22nd, John tormented Sylvia, offering her food, soup, and then taking the bull away from her as soon as she went to take a bite. At this point, Sylvia was extremely malnourished. And even though she had attempted to eat food, it probably wouldn't have helped. Eventually, Gertrude allowed Sylvia to sleep upstairs but only on the condition that she learned not to wet herself. And so that night, Sylvia whispered to Jenny to secretly give her a last glass of water before falling asleep. And the following morning, Gertrude discovered the lichens had, in fact, urinated. And so as punishment, Sylvia was forced to insert an empty glass of Coke into herself in the presence of all the other children before she was forced back into the basement. After this, Gertrude yelled for Sylvia to return to the kitchen and ordered her to strip down naked before telling her that you've, you've branded my daughters, now I'm going to brand you. And so she cut, I'm a prostitute and proud of it, into Sylvia's body with a heated needle. When Gertrude was unable to, to finish this, she instructed one of the neighborhood children, Richard, to finish etching the words into her as she took Jenny to a grocery store. So the, the young boy, Richard, claimed that it was a light etching uh, that he did into Sylvia's abdomen. Um, he and 10-year-old Shirley led Sylvia into the basement where each proceeded to use an anchor bolt and attempt to burn the letter S underneath Sylvia's, excuse me, Sylvia's left breast. Although they applied one section of the loop backwards, and so it actually resembled, resembled more the number three. Later that night, Sylvia told her sister Jenny that she was going to die. She could feel it. She knew she wasn't going to make it out of this. And the next morning, Gertrude woke Sylvia, forced her to write a letter as Gertrude told her what to write, which she Gertrude intended to mislead the parents into believing that Sylvia ran away from the house and the content of the letter was intended to frame a group of anonymous boys for the abuse and mutilation. And Sylvia, after she initially agreed to engage in sexual relations with them, she would retract and then this is why these supposed boys attacked her. And after Sylvia wrote the letter, Gertrude finished formatting her plan to her son John and even Jenny, who were forced to blindfold Sylvia, took her to a nearby wooded area known as Jimmy's Forest, and they were supposed to leave her there to die. And after she finished writing this letter, Sylvia was tied to the stair, stair railing and was given some crackers to eat, and she refused to eat them, telling Gertrude that she doesn't want them. 
And in response, Gertrude forced the crackers into her mouth. Um, and then she was beat. And come October 25th and 26th was the catalyst of it all. On the 25th, Sylvia attempted to escape once she overheard this conversation where Gertrude was telling John that he was to lead her into the forest to die. She tried to run out of the front door, but because she was so injured and just weak from malnourishment, Gertrude easily caught her before she could escape and Sylvia was given crackers, but again, unable to consume the food because she was so dehydrated. Again, Gertrude forced the crackers into her mouth before striking her in the face and she was hitting her with a curtain rod and, uh, and she was beating her so hard that parts of the instrument bent completely around. Coy ended up taking the curtain rod from Gertrude and stuck, struck um, Sylvia one more time, which knocked her out. Gertrude dragged her into the basement, and that evening, Sylvia tried desperately to alert the neighbors by screaming, hitting the walls, um, anything that she could do. And one, one neighbor later informed police that she heard the desperate commotion, and she knew that it was coming from their house, but it suddenly stopped at 3 a.m., and so she decided not to inform the police. Now, by the morning of the 26th, Sylvia was unable to speak or, you know, really move at all. Gertrude moved Sylvia into the kitchen, propped her against the wall, attempted to feed her and give her some milk. And when she wouldn't eat, she threw Sylvia to the floor in frustration. And again, she Sylvia tried to eat, tried to drink. Um, but she was unable to, and so she was returned to the basement. It wasn't long after that that Sylvia started to become delirious. She was moaning, mumbling, and Paula eventually came down, asked her to recite the English alphabet, and Sylvia was actually unable to recite anything past the first four letters. She couldn't lift herself off the ground, and as a response, Paula threatened to stand her up or if she didn't stand up, she would jump on her. Later that afternoon, several people came and gathered in the basement, and Sylvia tried to move her arms in, in an attempt to point out these tormentors, essentially and started calling them out by name, and Gertrude shouted, shut up. Minutes later, Sylvia tried, unsuccessfully, to bite into a rotten pear that she'd been given to eat, and stated that she could actually feel her teeth becoming loose. When Jenny heard this, she, she said to Sylvia, don't you remember your front tooth was knocked out when you were seven? Jenny left Sylvia in the basement to perform her gardening chores for the neighbors so that she could earn a little extra money. Now, in an attempt to kind of clean up Sylvia, John sprayed her with her garden hose that was brought to the house that afternoon by Randy by the request of Gertrude. Sylvia desperately attempted to exit the basement, but she collapsed before she could even reach the stairs. And in response to this, Gertrude stamped on Sylvia's head before standing and staring at her for several minutes. After 5.30 p.m., Richard returned to the house, immediately proceeded to the basement, slipped on the wet basement stairs, and fell to the floor of the basement where he was confronted with Stephanie crying and essentially cuddling Sylvia. And apparently she had been ordered by her mother to clean Sylvia up. 
Stephanie and Richard decide to give Sylvia a warm, soapy bath, dress her new clothes. They laid her on a mattress in one of the bedrooms. And Sylvia muttered her final wish that her dad was there and that Stephanie would take her home. Stephanie turned to her younger sister, Shirley, saying that, you know, she'll be all right. When Stephanie realized that Sylvia was not breathing, she attempted mouth to mouth, and Gertrude repeatedly shouted to the children in the house that Sylvia was faking her death. And Sylvia was only 16 after she she succumbed to this brutality. So the, the arrest came... Gertrude had had beat Sylvia's body with a book, yelling that she was faking, trying to get her to wake up. Um, and when that didn't work, she, in a panic, told Richard to call the police from a payphone that was nearby. And police arrived at the house at around 6.30. Gertrude led them to Sylvia's body, you know, emancipate or emaciated, extremely bludgeoned, mutilated. After all of this she had endured, you know, her body showed the signs. Gertrude laid, handed the, the police the letter that she had forced Sylvia to write. Uh, and she claimed that she was doctoring you know, her children for an hour more prior to the death and she was trying to apply rubbing alcohol to Sylvia's wounds. Um, and while she was trying to administer all of the, this first aid, Sylvia died. She added Sylvia had ran away earlier in the week with several boys and returned to the house that afternoon, naked, clutching the note. So Paula, who was clutching a Bible at the time, stated to everybody in the house that Sylvia's death was meant to happen and glanced to Jenny's direction, stated, if you want to live with us, Jenny, we'll treat you like your own, like our own sister. Now, as previously told by Gertrude, Jenny recited the rehearsed lines that she had been given leading to her sister's death before whispering to the officers, you get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. The formal statement provided by Jenny prompted the officers to arrest Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, and John for Sylvia's murder within only an hour of discovering the body. The same day, Coy and Richard were also arrested and charged with the same offenses. Now, the three oldest children of Gertrude as well as Coy, were placed in the custody of a nearby juvenile center. The younger children, Richard, um, or the younger children and Richard, were all detained at uh, the Indianapolis Children's Guardian Home, and everybody was held without bail, depending on the trial. Now, initially, Gertrude denied any involvement in Sylvia's death, but by the 27th, she confessed to having known the kids, particularly her daughter Paula and Coy, physically, emotionally abused Sylvia. And she told the police that Paula did most of the damage. Coy did a lot of the beating. Gertrude later also admitted to having forced the girl to sleep in the basement on at least three, three occasions when she had wet the bed. She became evasive when one of the officers stated that one of the reasons Sylvia had become incontinent were her mental distress and injuries to her kidneys. Paula lacked any remorse, but she signed a statement admitting to having repeatedly beaten Sylvia um, with her mother's police belt and once breaking her wrist on Sylvia's jaw and continuing these acts of brutality including pushing her down the stairs a couple of times, inflicting a black eye. John admitted to having hit Sylvia on occasion, uh, but he also added that most of the time he used his fists to abuse her. 
uh, admitted to burning her with matches. Five of the other neighbor children who had participated in the abuse, uh, Michael, Randy, Darlene, Judy, and Anna, were arrested on the 29th of October, all charged with causing injury to person, each released into the custody of their parents, uh, as long as they would appear as witnesses in, in the trial. Now, even though everybody was tried and, and found guilty of their crimes, in 1970, the Indiana Supreme Court reversed the convictions of Gertrude and Paula, um, stating that the judge who had presided over the original case repeatedly de denied motions by the defense. And so they essentially didn't get a fair trial. So they were, both of them were retried in 71 and Paula decided not to face a retrial. She just pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter and she was sentenced to serve two to 20 years. And she tried to escape prison twice in 1971 so a year after, or well, the same year as the retrial, uh, unsuccessful both times, but she was only released a year later in 72. However, Gertrude was convicted of first-degree murder and given life. And over 14 years, Gertrude became known as a model prisoner in the Indiana women's prison. She worked in the sewing shop, and she became kind of a den mother to younger inmates, uh, and she was even given the name, the nickname Mom by many of them. When Gertrude was at her ultimate parole in 85, she changed her name to Nadine Van Fossen, which was a combination of her middle name and her maiden name, and described herself now as, as reformed, essentially. Now, when Gertrude was up for parole, as you can imagine, this caused quite an uproar throughout the entire state. Jenny, many of the other family members, they all protested the release of Gertrude. Uh, members of, of anti-crime groups traveled to Indiana to oppose this potential parole. Um, and, and everybody was campaigning and picketing. And over two months, over 40,000 signatures from Indiana citizens were turned in who, who did not want Gertrude to be on parole. They wanted her to remain in prison for the rest of her life. And within the parole hearing, Gertrude stated that Sylvia's death could be undone Although she minimized her responsibility, of course, for any actions, even going as far to say that I'm not sure what role I had in Sylvia's death because I was on drugs and I never really knew her, I take full responsibility for whatever happened. So they took Gertrude's good conduct in prison into account and the parole board voted in favor of granting the parole and she was released in 1985. And immediately after that, she moved out to Iowa. And of course, she never accepted full responsibility for anything that happened to Sylvia and held on to this story that she was unable to recall anything um, that she had done or anything that happened in the months leading up to the death. She blamed it on medication that she was uh, supposedly prescribed for asthma. And... Once she moved to Iowa, it was pretty much just living in obscurity, and she died in 1990 at age 61 of lung cancer. So for those five years, she was living free, essentially, never having to pay for the torment that she had caused. Now, one reporter 
John Dean, who worked for the Indianapolis Star, which is a main newspaper in Indianapolis. He worked the case, and in 2015, he said that he never thought Gertrude was insane. He just thought that she was a a mean woman. So the the rest of them, in 72, once Paula was uh, released, she also created this new identity. Uh, disturbingly, she worked as a school counselor for 14 years in Iowa, uh, seemingly moved, moved with her name or with her mother. She changed her name to Paula Pace, um, oftentimes obviously regard, uh, hiding the truth about her criminal history. And that's how she got this job. In 2012, when the school learned who she really was, she was fired. So supposedly she still lives in a small town in Iowa, married with two children. And the daughter that she had given birth to while awaiting trial in 1966 was eventually adopted. Murder child charges filed against Gertrude. Gertrude's second oldest daughter, Stephanie, were dropped because Stephanie agreed to turn state's evidence and testify against everybody else. The rest of the children, after Gertrude was arrested, were put into foster families. Uh, Surnames of all three children changed in the late 60s. Richard, Coy, and John served less than two years in Indiana. Um, Reformatory, they were all granted parole in February of 1968. Richard also died of lung cancer in 1972 at the age of 21, just four years after he was released. So... That's kind of interesting. You know, that's kind of young to die of lung cancer. Um, In 1968, um, Coy, he remained in Indiana, never attempted to change his name throughout his adult life. He was repeatedly in prison for various criminal offenses. Uh, In 1977, he was charged with murdering two men um, due to the fact but. Um, he was acquitted of that as the witnesses didn't testify. And in 2007, um, during the premiere of the movie An American Crime, which was a movie based on this case, he was fired from his job and he died of a heart attack June 23rd. Uh, He was only 56 years old. John lived pretty much in obscurity. He had changed his name and became a lay minister. He hosted counseling sessions for children of divorced parents. Um, He issued a statement several years after being released in which he acknowledged the fact he and his co-defendants should have been sentenced to more severe time and punishment, even adding that young criminals are not beyond rehabilitation and describing how he had become a productive citizen. He died of diabetes in 2005. He was 52. But he would occasionally speak about his past, admitting uh, that he enjoyed attention that Sylvia's murder brought to him, um, but claimed that he only ever hit Sylvia once. Now, when Gertrude died, Jenny um, clipped the the section of the newspaper and mailed it to her her mother, which read, "Good news, Gertrude died. Ha ha ha! I'm happy about that." Unfortunately, Jenny died of a heart attack in 2004. She was also fairly young at only fifth at only 54 years old. Elizabeth and Lester, um, 
Sylvia and Jenny's parents died in 1998 and 2013, respectively. And in the years prior to her death, Jenny repeatedly emphasized no blame should be placed on either of her parents for putting her and Sylvia in the care of Gertrude because she believed that her parents had done, you know, was trust them um, and believed in the promise to care for them. Now, there is a, a memorial dedicated to Sylvia, um, and it was unveiled in, in 2001. The house where all of this took place, it was vacant for, for many, many years. Um, and as a result, it, it became more and more dilapidated. And there were a lot of discussions about purchasing and rehabilitating the house, maybe even converting it into a woman's shelter. The funds were never really raised to complete the project. And so in 2009, it was just demolished. So now um, it's a parking lot for a church. And there's several movies, as I've mentioned before, if you want to you know, if you want to see what Sylvia had to endure, um, an American crime, which I mentioned earlier, it was filmed in 2007, um, or The Girl Next Door, which also came out in 2007, um, but it's more loosely based on. The Sylvia case, it's it's not a direct representation as an American crime is. To me, this is for sure one of the, the darkest moments in Indiana history. I don't know of any other any other case or incident in the history of the state that is that messed up, you know, that people could do that much harm to another human being and have essentially no remorse. Um, you know, it's, it's very sad and it, it's extremely messed up. But I'm curious, what is what is the worst case that has ever happened in your state? Till next time, stay scared. <laughs>